me just say at the outset, uh, Daniel was okay with me using his podium. I just opted for a, a one that I could move, so let that be known. No rumors are going to begin here. Well, it's good to be with you, and even as we were singing the songs together this morning, I, I, I was thinking of the Psalms, the word of God that was, that was being sung together. Psalm 34, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Psalm 96, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. All the other gods are as worthless idols. Sing to the Lord a new song. Give to him glorious praise. Say to him, you are great. Declare his glory among the nations. We could spend eternity singing praise about God and his greatness. And so, we're going to look at Romans this morning. <laughs> of course not, we're not going to look at Romans. I love to preach from the Psalms, and just this morning was another example of why I love, I love the Psalms, as they're filled with emotion and response of who God is. And so if you haven't already turned there, I would invite you to turn with me to Romans, or pardon me, now I'm going to go to Romans, Psalm 113. Man, I can't make a joke and get it right. Psalm 113. I've entitled this a, a Christmas Psalm of Praise. It really is not a Christmas psalm, but if you put the word Christmas in the title, it kind of makes it that. And so it really is a psalm of praise, and it, it's always appropriate even at Christmas time. And so this morning, as we look at God's word together, it will be our call. This, this psalm is a part of a set of psalms, uh, chapter 113 through 118. It's known as a, an Egyptian halal or praise book, hymnal, if you will. And it was what the Israelites used as they were celebrating the Passover together. Um, it was highlighting God's work of creation and redemption, his deliverance of them. It has been thought, some scholars, theologians have said that this psalm might have been what Jesus, Jesus and his disciples sang together after he celebrated the last Passover with them. You can read about that in Luke. And so this is, this is another reason I love the psalms, is that they're, that they're filled with history, not only in the context of when they were written, but even as how they were referenced by Jesus himself and others in the New Testament. It, it gives us context of God and, and through Jesus. It's a, they're essentially a collection of songs and poetry, this hymnal. And I'm hopeful this morning that it will remind us, it'll frame our minds and emotions around the truths of who God is and what he has done. And so as we look at Psalm 113 this morning, you will find first that it's a simple psalm. There's there's language there that we can understand, but there's also beautiful language of poetry that I love to unpack for us, simply describe and remind us of. It's, it's a simple psalm filled with, with basic foundational key truths that we all need to be reminded of in the midst of a crazy time of life. So I'm not going to share something profound or something that you've not heard before, Lord willing, but rather... I'm going to remind us of why God is great and worthy of praise. So 
So with your Bibles open this morning to Psalm 113, would you stand with me in honor of the Lord and his word and listen as I read it aloud. This is the word of the Lord, Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. You can't be seated. May God be encouraged by the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are in need of you this morning, and, and I, I am in great need of you now and Today and tonight and tomorrow and until you return, Lord, I, I need you to speak into my life. And so this morning, as we look at your word, may you be glorified, may you be magnified, and may we leave, be encouraged and reminded of your greatness, and may it help us and cause us to praise you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the story is told of Vince Lombardi, he was a, a football coach about 60 years ago. He, he walked out in front of his football team, legendary coach, and in front of all these guys committed to the game, he held up a football, and I, I thought I'd bring in my, my son's Nerf ball, but it wouldn't have had the same effect, and he held up this football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. Now, if I didn't tell you the context, you might have thought that he was at a classroom for first graders at a show and tell, telling the kids about what a football looks like and how they use it and what, where it goes. Or maybe you could have thought that he would have been in a, maybe a third world country, South America, say anywhere else in the world that football is not called football but soccer and trying to explain that to them. But no, here he was with a, a bunch of NFL athletes, some of the, the best in the day, in fact, it was an NFL team that had won the championship the year before, coming back. And so he's going back to them and is getting back to a, a simple foundational truth. Someone first service told me that. He said, these are the basics. We're going to get back to the basics. This is a football, he said. The simple truths, the simple foundational things of the game. If only the Bears could understand that. Today, sometimes we need to focus on those simple foundational truths. This is what I have needed lately, and I trust that you have needed as well. And I'd like to share some of those with you. Psalm 113 being our text, we'll consider four questions and a final question along with three things to know. And I've, I've laid it out in, in who, what, when, where, and how, how and, or why, however you want to word those as you think about gathering information or data. And they all will flow out of this main idea. And so here's our main idea for the morning that I want you 
to recognize as we consider the text. The main idea is that we praise the name of God always because in his matchless greatness and marvelous grace, he rescued us. We praise the name of God always because in his matchless greatness and marvelous grace, he rescued us. We'll look at the what, when, who, why, and then how. Looking at verse 1, the first question we ask ourselves is the what. The what. What what do God's people do? Verse 1 says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. It's a simple answer. Praise God, isn't it? We're called to praise God. You could, you could circle it. You could highlight it. Write it down. Tell it to your neighbor when it's safe to do so, following the protocols. This is a simple answer of what God's people were not only created to do, but are even called to do. Time and time again in the Word, we are called to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, praise is one of those words that has been around a long time, and also we've heard it in our own language in the Christian faith for a long time. You've grown up in the church, you use it so often that it's lost some of its meaning. And so here's a few synonyms that praise can also mean. Adore. Worship. Revere. Honor. A word I love is the word glorify. It's a word that you'd see on, on the curved wall in our lobby as our mission statement of why our church exists is to glorify God as we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and prepare God's people to worship him forever. You see, the more we proclaim Christ to others, the more we prepare God's children for eternal worship, the more God is glorified, the more God is, is revered, the more God is worshiped, the more God is praised. Now, who are, who are the servants that it's talking about? Praise the Lord, O servants of the Lord. This is not a, an unbeliever, someone who is not familiar with who God is and knows who he is. They are those who have committed themselves, call themselves followers of him. The command is for those that know him, those that serve him, to give him praise. The last phrase is, we praise the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. Do we really understand what this phrase means? We, we could overlook it. In fact, if you look at the text, it's referenced three times at the end of verse 1, but also in verse 2 and verse 3. The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. When I was little, I, I thought that praise the name was just maybe a fancy or a formal way to say praise. Uh, I don't praise the Lord. I praise the name of the Lord. Thank you very much. We don't use that language. Nobody talks like that. We talk about praise. No one has ever said, as we've gathered in the office as a staff, we don't walk around saying, you know what? I, I praise the name of Daniel Bennett, or I praise the name of Kent Cloder, or, well, okay, maybe some do say that, but, but we don't talk that way. It's not a term or phrase that we use. Or maybe even after last Sunday's football game, the Kansas City Chiefs, three touchdowns, 400 yards, you looked at the screen and you said, oh, I praise the name of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, 
Now, I hope you didn't say that because that would be idolatry. And so that's a different sermon for another day. I don't walk in the door at my house and I don't hear my kids say, I praise the name of you, great father, for your great care for us, your provision for us. I don't hear that in my house. We don't talk like that. We don't know what that means to praise the name of the Lord. And so when the Bible uses this phrase, I think it's important for us to know what it means because it's used three times, but also it's different than just simply saying praise the Lord. And I would suggest that praise the name of the Lord is, is God's way of focusing us on who God is and what he has done, what his name is. The, word, the Hebrew word there is, is Yahweh, God's name. Yahweh, I am, the one who was and is and always will be. They, in the Old Testament, had such a reverence and awe of the very name of God, his holiness. It, a theological word for that would be his, his transcendence, his beyond us, not like us. And so, while it's certainly possible for us as we see to praise the name of the Lord, we could think about praising him for many other things, but this is talking about praising him for who he is and what he has revealed about himself to us. Let me give you a practical example, real life, and then a biblical one. If we were to go on a, a walk outside, we could look around and, and see many reasons to give praise to God. I, I praise you, God, for the, for the blue skies today. I praise you, Lord, for the, for the sunshine and the warm weather, for the, the flowers in the fields, for the, the ability to walk. I praise you for my neighbor that you've blessed me with. I praise you for all these things. And on and on, we could give praise to God. These are, these are fine things to give praise to God for. But if, if we're going to praise the name of the Lord, then we're going to focus on what he has revealed to us in Scripture. Exodus 3 is an example of that. As, as Moses stood before the burning bush and, and God spoke to him and, and Moses, as, as he heard what God was calling him to do, he said, he said to, to God, what will I tell them your name is? And, and God told him, I am the one who was and is and always will be, the one who will be there with you. And so an example of, of a praising the name of the Lord in that context would be something like saying, God, I, I praise you because you are the great I am, the one who always was and is and is to come. I praise you because you're the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You're the God of Moses. You're the God who sent Moses to confront Pharaoh and to lead the Israelites out of slavery. You're the God who gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments. You're the God who led the Israelites to the promised land. You are the great I am. That is praising the name of the Lord. That is what God is calling us to do here in our text. I trust you see the difference. We see the command that is given, the, the call for us to worship. Praise the name of the Lord. That's key question one. Key question number two is, is this, when? When? When do God's people praise? I could even subnote where, when and where. 
Verse 3, 2 and 3, it says, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We could see right away this language that is, is poetic and beautiful to say. And so I, I don't think it needs much description or definition, but simply to just clarify what it means in, in practical. We are to praise when are we to praise God? Always. Always. The first phrase there, from this time forth and forevermore. It would mean from now on. From now on and always. From now on, from right at this moment and forevermore. Micah 4 uses this same type of language. From this time forth and forevermore. The king will reign. Isaiah 9, in talking about the coming of the Messiah, uses this, where the government will come and his, this kingdom will reign from this time forth and forevermore, from now on and always. <clears throat> but then it uses the phrase, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The way that I would functionally or practically say this is, I would simply add everywhere, from from the beginning of when the sun rises, not only here, but anywhere else, from east to west, from everywhere that the sun comes up, all day long and everywhere, from now on, all day long and everywhere, that is when we are called, commanded to praise the name of the Lord. It's much more poetic to say, from the rising of the sun to its setting. But for practical, we are to praise God, always, from now on, all day long, everywhere. 365 days of the year, 52 weeks of the year, 24-7, giving him praise. Whenever, forever, that's the simple truth. We praise always. It doesn't mean that we, we put a blinders on and, and don't see the, the reality of hardship. But what it does mean is that we recognize who God is, the answer to the first question, the great I am who is with us, who has gone before us, who will be there for us, that allows us to say we can praise the Lord. Number three, key question three, who? Who do we praise always? Or who is this God we're supposed to praise always? We've talked about it a little bit in question one, but our text Verse 4 through 6 switches now. Not only does it give us, verse section is the, the call to worship or the command, but now it gives us the, the cause of, of why we are to worship. The Lord is high above all the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? That term is used three times. Who is this God that we're always to pray? It is our great and gracious God. Our great and gracious God. Our great God, if you want to make it simpler. The Lord, our God who is higher than the heavens. Our God, the one who is seated on high. The one who not only has to look down, but it says that he looks far down on us. When I first read this, I thought it was, it was giving us a clue of, of where God was. 
maybe he's up high. But I, I believe it's, it's more than that. It's not just a where answer. It's really telling us God's position to us. His, if I could use a theological term, his, his transcendence. He is beyond us, independent, altogether different from us. So who is God? God is high and powerful. God is almighty, far from us in his might and power. Or to say it more clearly in the context of this psalm, God is greater than all the other gods that are out there. You see, when the psalmist wrote these words, it would have been very possible, common probably, for people to have believed that, that gods, little g, ruled certain geographic regions. And so a god of, of this nation could rule that geographic region and, and a god over there could, could rule that geographic region or area and different gods would rule different areas. And so when our psalmist would say the Lord is high above all nations, he's saying that the God of the Bible, Yahweh, I am, the one true God, he is altogether different than every other God out there. It'd be like if you're from Florida, the Sunshine State, and you, you made your regional God the sun. Or maybe you're from Texas, the Lone Star State, and so your God is your guns. It sounds funny, but it might be more true than we think. And if either of these two nations were to have battled together one another, it would be crucial their area of who would win. And this is what the psalmist is saying. And so whether you are in the sunshine state or the lone star state, whether you are in the promised land or in Egypt, God is so incredible, so above all other gods, the God who is above all nations, that he is to be praised. This is why the great I am is so great. Because he is beyond every nation. He went into Egypt, the great nation of that time. He went into Pharaoh's court. And again, we know that it was Moses, but if you look at the story of Moses in Exodus 3 and 4, we see that even when God used Moses, he made very clear it was, it was God who spoke through Moses, it was God who, who moved in the heart of Pharaoh. It was, it was God who did those things. And so as, as Pharaoh was pushed out on his home court, his region where he probably thought he was a God, God removed him. God demonstrated that he is the great God above all gods, the one true God. He is not just one God among many. He's seated on high, far above the heavens. Our God is great, and there is no one like our God. Who do we praise always? The answer, our great God. Question four from the text, why? Why do we praise God? Why do we praise God? Look at verse seven. Short answer is, because he rescued us. Look at verse 7. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. God gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. I appreciate what the psalmist does here at the end of this 
section, this text. You see, the first section we see God's transcendence, how he is not like us in his, in his greatness and his majesty, his glory. But then in the second section, we begin to see the theological term, his imminence. Not imminence as in he's coming soon, but his imminence, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-C-E. His nearness to us. God cares for us. God is gracious and caring and personal. The poor, the needy, the barren. You see how contrasted these two simple foundational truths are. We need to see the difference as we desire to rightly praise God for who he is. The author has placed this right next to each other because he wants us to see this simple truth. One commentator said it this way, why do we praise God? Because nothing is too great for God and no one is too small for God. Nothing is too great for God. No one is too small for God. You see, God in his matchless greatness, in his marvelous graciousness, rescues the poor. He lifts up the needy. He comes to the barren. He rescues them all for his glory, that his name might be praised. Who is powerful enough to take someone, lift them up out of the dust, the ash heap, put them on a throne, make them a prince. Who is powerful enough to take a barren woman? And keep in mind when this was written that there may not have been a worse curse than being a woman who could not conceive. You have been an outcast. But look what God does. Look what he says. He takes the barren and tenderly cares for them. That's the one true God. That's the God who is powerful enough, the God who is transcendent beyond us, yet imminent and near to us. We who are the poor and needy, the barren, God who is the high and exalted above the heavens, he has looked far down on us. See how powerful our God is. Why we should praise him because he has rescued us. He has rescued you and me and offers to rescue anyone who would call upon him. This brings us to our final question of, of outside of our text as we look at what we do, we praise God. When do we praise God? Always. Who do we praise? Our great God. Why do we praise God? Because he has rescued us. The last question how? How did God rescue us? Or maybe another way to say that is, how can God rescue you? The answer is not found in this text directly, but rather in the New Testament in Luke 24. After Jesus came back to life from the grave and stood before his disciples, here's what he said. We read it to you, verse 44 of Luke 24, it says, Then he said to them, Jesus' disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. See, ultimately, Psalm 113 is about Jesus. 
How did God rescue us? Short answer, Jesus. Ultimately, it's about Jesus. Ultimately, it's about the gospel. That Jesus came into the world to save us from our sin. That he came with no shame, with no condemnation. He lived a a perfect life, free from all sin, perfect in every way. He came to earth, leaving the glories of heaven, leaving the right hand of God, the Father. He came to rescue us. Philippians 2 would say it this way clearly. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God loves us. God loves us as a, as a people, but he loves us individually. He loves us personally. And he has provided a way for us to himself through Jesus. We can have a personal relationship with this great God because of Jesus, by placing our faith and trust in him, his work on the cross, giving us the forgiveness of sin and a right standing before a holy God. A simple truth, a profound truth that I pray you consider today. And maybe, maybe you've done that. Maybe you are confident that you are a servant of the Lord, that you are one who has committed to following and living for him. But my prayer is that we would never get tired of the gospel. <clears throat> that we would never not desire to give him praise. Because as we think about how we are rescued by placing our faith and trust in Christ, as we consider this glorious truth, our natural response should be to praise the Lord, which is exactly what the theme, the heart cry of the psalmist was as he wrote these these words. He wants us to be able to say confidently, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, our time is gone, and I know how Daniel, I don't know how Daniel does it. Three things I want you to know as we close, just briefly. Three things to know. Number one, know who God is. Know who God is. We are to praise the Lord always, and so we have to know who he is. Meditate upon the gospel Spend time in his word, growing in our understanding of who he is, what he has done, how he has has delivered us. The Bible is a great resource to see throughout history how God has redeemed and rescued his people. Know who he is. Number two, know who you are. Know who you are. You are a worshiper. You were created to worship. You are an image bearer. And whether you decide to serve God and give him the praise or whether you decide to get that twisted and and confuse ourselves with God and begin to worship ourselves and we make ourselves God or the things that we desire more important than who God is, 
We need to recognize who we are before a holy God. We were created to worship him. We are a people who are in need of him. And number three, know what to do. Know what you need to do. It comes full circle. What do we need to do? Praise the Lord. Verse 1 and verse 9, the first phrase, the last phrase, praise the Lord. Now for some here, it might be impossible for you to do that because it needs to begin with knowing who God is and who you are. And so my prayer again would be that as if, if you're here this morning and you've come to the place where you recognize that I have not placed my faith and trust in Christ. This Christmas season where, where God has come near to us in Jesus, if we have not placed our faith and trust in him and his work, it's impossible for us to draw near to him, to praise him. So we give him the praise. We give him all the glory. We give him all the worship. Why? Because he is our great God and he is worthy of all our praise. Let's pray together. God, you are a great God who is worthy of our praise. And so I pray this morning through these simple truths that we would be reminded of your greatness and your graciousness to us. Help us to live lives of obedience and faith, praising you for all that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.